Good morning. So, it is New Year's Eve yesterday, and I, I finally got the goal to do this message. I asked Chad if I can do this, and uh, this is a message that if I sat down right now, I guarantee you, Keevan can come up and preach the same word without needing a scripture, because it's the same thing God's been preaching to us for who knows how long in, in prayer, and... Uh, but I'm going to use scripture, that way you don't think it's just me coming up with something. I'm not that smart, okay? So every, everything I do comes out of scripture, even in prayer group, I have to go to scripture to make sure I'm right. And uh, so um, it's New Year's Day, usually on New Year's Day, you know, you always hear about the New Year's resolutions and people always say like, what a horrible idea, nobody ever keeps them, right? And, uh, and it's somewhat true. That's why gyms, like we have so many big gyms in the tri-state area that make a whole lot of money, but they don't make the money off the people who show up. They make the money off the people who do not show up. Something about, I want to say on average, the the gym memberships is somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of the people with a gym membership will not show up after February. Huh? You're one of them? Shelly Carter, ask her about it. She'll tell you how that works. And it, uh, I, If I asked, I thought about it. I'm not going to. But if I asked everybody in here how many of us have had a gym membership, I would probably say almost everybody in here has had one. But I would almost say if I asked how many people worked out in the last month, you would probably say not me. Right? So at one point in time, we really thought it was important to be in shape and to, to do something. And then you get to this point to where you're like, Sitting around eating a pizza is a little more important, right? And it, uh, at least to me, it is. And it, uh, and I have worked out in the last month, but you know, there's there's a reason why the New Year's resolutions are so big. They know it's worth money. It's where money's made, right? We can get people excited to do something new to change, and because we all understand how important change is, you know, we we should never be. The old self, there's something wrong. We, we see something wrong in our old self, and we realize, man, that should be different. The problem is, is, the reason why it's not different isn't because we have the ability to change. We say, hey, I should change, but you would have already changed if you had the ability on your own, right? So the title of this message is uh, The New Year, The New You, and uh, I... I I've shared this over in Evansville a few weeks back or a month or two ago. Uh, I always liked the old, uh, not just infomercials, but like in the 90s and early 2000s and probably even the 80s, you always had the, there was a slogan for everything, you know, uh, you know, five-minute abs or whatever it was, and tone this and tone that, and they had these quick, get, get better quick schemes all the time, right, and as I've shared before, the only one who was getting better was the people getting rich off of it, right? Everybody else is paying for it, and they get it, and they're like, oh, this doesn't really work, right? It's uh, the old Subway thing. When, when Subway first realized that, I know he's a weirdo, but Jared lost weight, they went with Jared to, not our Jared, it, uh, the, the other one, they went with, went with the fact that he was eating the same sub every day for lunch there, and he lost Hundreds of pounds. What they didn't add to it was he was in the gym twice a day and his whole entire diet changed. 
It wasn't Subway that made him lose weight. But what did that do? That took Subway from being one of the smallest chain restaurants in America to having more locations than anywhere. Because we thought, hey, this is the way I'm going to lose weight is I'm going to start going to Subway. Guess what? None of us, at least the majority of us, are not ordering the sandwich that's going to cause you to lose weight at Subway. That meatball marinara, as good as it is, is just as bad as anything else you're eating, right? But we have this mindset, like, all the time, like, what am I going to do to get better? What am I going to do to get better? What am I going to do to get better? And I could go through and we can talk about all the New Year's resolutions. You know, even in in the church, people are like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year this year. And that's an awesome thing to do if you're doing it to get closer to the Lord. If you're doing it because you need to do your job and try to get read the Bible in a year, you'll never make it. You'll get through probably, if you're lucky, two or three weeks. If you're really good, you may make it a month on your own. And then it's going to be where, well, that just wasn't, wasn't for me. Or I, I tried and, it, and I failed, right? Or maybe... Maybe it's like, I'm going to make sure I make it to this meeting every year, every day. And, and it's a good thing. Like, you can say, I'm going to be at prayer every, every week. And there's been a lot of commitments for that. I'm going to be at prayer group every week. And if it's for the wrong reasons, you won't be at prayer group every week. Right? It just won't happen. You can say it all you want, and you can know you need to all you want. But there has to be something that changes. Right, it's uh. They always say, lifestyle changes work. Commitments don't. Right. If I just say I'm gonna try to commit to doing this, you'll end up just giving up. But it, it's a change in lifestyle, right? And so, all that to to set up Romans 12, which we've heard many a times, probably on New Year's, but it's still where we're going on New Year's. So, Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that that we do have a new year, Lord, and we get to come and, and to celebrate that, Lord, and to, to fellowship together, God, to bond together, to get closer to you together, Lord. And I'm, I, I'm so grateful for those who wanted to come out today, no matter how tired, how dreary, Lord, how the weather is outside. They knew they needed to be here today, God, and I thank you for that, and I pray that you would just speak through me today, Lord. It would be your words, not mine. I pray our hearts would be ready to receive what you speak to us, Lord, and that you would change each of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to break down that scripture because we hear that all the time and we were told, hey, don't conform to the world, transform your mind. And then you walk away like, all right. You're like, what does that mean? Right? It's, It's one thing to say, I'm going to be transformed today. I'm going to be changed. Everything's going to be different from this day forward. But then how do you do that? I don't know, right? How would you do that? It's, it's kind of like 
I don't know, it's kind of like if I said, hey, I'm going to learn to fly a plane this year. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to fly a plane. Margie may come to me and she may say, Eddie, so where are you getting your flying lessons from? And I say, you know what? I don't know. I just have this desire to fly a plane. And she'll be like, oh, okay. And then Jason may come up and he may say, hey, uh, so where are you going to do these lessons at? And I say, oh, I don't know. I know there's a place in Mount Carmel, but I haven't even talked to him, right? And then I can go through this whole thought process of I'm going to fly a plane. But when you start asking me my plan of action and I don't have one, I'm not prepared for that. I'm probably never going to fly a plane. And if I do, we're all probably going to die, right? I may fly it, but I won't land it. You wouldn't ride with me? But that's our, that's our thing a lot of times. We have these great ideas and these great ambitions, and we, we're, hey, I'm going to be all in. This is me now. Yet nothing, something has to change for that to be able to be sustainable, right? And there has to be something different. It can't be the same thing we've always done. It has to be something new. So I'm going to break down this scripture before we get into two more scriptures. I think this is going to be a quick message. If you ask Mike Harris, he'll tell, me, tell you I never have a quick message. But I'm hoping it's quick. So he starts out and he says, I appeal to you, therefore. And we always know in Scripture, every pastor has always said it, when you see a therefore, you figure out what it's there for. Right? What is he appealing to us for? Why is that, right? And the reason why is if you go to chapter 11, at the beginning of cha- or at the end of chapter 11... Uh, he is talking about how we were once disobedient. And it's because of the mercy of God that we, we recognize our disobedience and we are cleansed of it, we're saved. And because of others' disobedience, we still can recognize, you know, our need for a Savior, for, for cleansing, right? And then he goes on and he says... Uh, he makes sure in there that you, you understand that the mercy has nothing to do with you earning it. He makes sure that you know that the mercy was a free gift from God. Right? You didn't earn it. It wasn't like you said, went to Jesus and you're like, hey man, like I'll trade you 50 bucks for some mercy. No, you cannot give him something for his mercy. It's free. That's why it's called mercy. And then he points out... Uh, that we don't even understand the things of God, kind of like it goes back, he kind of reiterates what Job was saying, we don't understand the things of the Lord. And this is Jesus talking, but we don't understand the things of the Lord. We don't have anything that we can offer the Lord that he didn't give us first, right? We we don't have that. And uh, what was the other? Oh, and he doesn't need our counsel. He points that out in Scripture. Anybody else like me whenever you're in prayer and you're telling the Lord how he should do something? I mean, he is the Lord, but he still needs to know how to do it properly because I know so well. But it it points that out in that Scripture. Right there in chapter 11 at the end, it's telling us, hey, I, I, I don't need your help. God doesn't need our counsel. He don't need our stuff. Right? It's not like we're giving it to him. Because we gave him something first, it was 
we're only giving back to him what he gave us, so it wasn't even ours to begin with, right? And that's what he's talking about here. And, uh, and then it closes with this. It says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, and to whom be glory forever. And so he's saying everything happens through him. The world only exists through him. It was existed for him. Right? It, it goes back to him. And, uh, yeah, it's all for him, through him, and to him. It's not for us. Yet, for us, we often, you know, one of the famous songs out there all the time is, uh, if God is for us, who could be against us? And it's a true statement. It is biblical. But there's also a scripture in the Old Testament, whenever two guys are sitting around trying to figure out if the angel is for them or not. And angel says, I'm not for you or your enemy. I'm for myself. Right? He was taught, it was the Lord saying it. I am for myself. Now, his plan is for our good. His plan is what's best for us. But he's not for our plans. He doesn't need to figure out how we're going to do it, right? So we go to that. And so therefore, he's saying, I appeal to you because of these reasons, right? And then he says, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. I'm going to cover that part real quick. It says, by the mercies of God, which are because we couldn't do anything on ourselves to clean ourselves, to get out of our own disobedience, to change whatsoever. We couldn't do it on our own, or we would have, right? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A lot of times when we read Romans 1 and 2, we think of it as... uh, Because we were saved, we should present ourselves, right? Well, he's not asking you to present your old self. He's not asking you to get rid of your old life. That happened the moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior. The old you is dead. That is not a living sacrifice. That is a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice is the one who has eternal life and is living now. And he is asking us to present our eternal lives to Him, our lives that are new, the new us, should be presented as a sacrifice. And what would that mean? That would mean it goes up to the altar, and it is His, not ours, right? And it's to stay at the altar because it's living. So we should always be at that altar. We should always be surrendered to Him. It should, we should always, our lives should always belong to Jesus Christ. We are his sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice. But what we often do is we come to church and we pray and we go to the altar and we let that old self go, and then we take the new self and we go away. Right? We go back to our plans and telling God how it should be done. And But he's saying, hey, let's not do that. Let's be a living sacrifice, right? And I said that was Jesus. It's actually Paul saying all this. says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And if you have ever looked into the old sacrificial system, in order for a lamb to be a sacrificial lamb, the first thing is, is it was devoted from birth to be the sacrificial lamb. Right? It wasn't one that just went out in the field and said, hey, that one might work. It was devoted. It was set apart. That's what holy means, set apart for the Lord. 
And a sacrificial lamb was set apart for the Lord. It wasn't one that was just randomly chosen. So the moment that we are saved, we should be set apart for the Lord. Right? At that moment, we become a, a, a chosen sacrifice. We become the one who's chosen. We're raised like the lamb for sacrifice. And I know it sounds horrible when you use the word sacrifice, but we get to live. We're not going to die because we often try to think we've got to die for our own sacrifice when Jesus already did that part. He's asking us to live for him, right? And then it said acceptable to God. So even though the, the lamb would be raised for the sacrifice, it was he was born and raised so he can go to the temple, be given to the priest, and the priest would inspect that lamb to make sure it was acceptable to be given to the Lord as a sacrifice. Right? It had to be without blemish. It had to be spotless. Nothing wrong. Right? And uh, we should be doing that. We should be the kind of people who are always making sure we are good with God. Lord, this is wrong. I have this iniquity. I have this. I have that. And we should always be getting rid of those 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 things, right? We should be a set-apart sacrifice for the Lord. And, even though it's impossible, we should always be trying to be clean, right? And I will tell you, the only way you ever become a spotless sacrifice as a human being is if you're staying at the altar. It is the only way, right? Whenever you walk away from the altar, you come back, you walk away from the altar and you come back, Guess what? You're going to get dirty and muddy and you're going to have some sins on you. And then you got to go back. And we're all going to mess up. I don't want you to say I'm telling you you got to be perfect. But there should be some kind of change. There should be some kind of sacrificial effort here. Right? The only way you ever get in shape at a gym when you buy that membership is showing up. And then when you show up, you actually have to use the weights. And the only way you can be a living sacrifice is if you show up at the altar and you start following the Lord. It's the only way. So it says, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is the way we praise the Lord, right? If you look at the actual breakdown in the Hebrew, that would say the spiritual worship from the Word. And so the only way we know if we are holy and acceptable to God is through the Word of God. And as we're living testimonies to the Lord, that is holy. That is a, an acceptable worship, a spiritual worship. Ryan and them get up here and do worship Sunday mornings, and it's great to praise the Lord and sing to the Lord. But if there's not a sacrifice in that, if it's not a spiritual thing, a spiritual connection, we talked about this yesterday, actually. All we're doing is singing songs. We're no different than anybody out on a concert on a Friday or Saturday night at a bar if we're just singing. There has to be a spiritual worship, right? Then it says, do not be conformed to this world. And I probably don't have to break this down, but I'm still going to break it down, okay? Because... Whenever he's talking about not being conformed to this world, it's not talking about anything other than the culture we're in. 
We, are, we, are, we often conform to the culture, and we like the things of the culture. And when we get saved, we don't turn from the culture and go to Jesus often. Instead, we try to bring Jesus into our culture, right? We're trying to get Jesus to be more like us instead of us being more like Jesus. There's a different culture there. Right, I can't keep doing the things I was doing before. Not to say the things you were doing before were bad. As we've shared many times, the enemy of what's best is what is good. What's best is what God has for us. The good things that we find good can be an enemy of what's best from God. And we can get in his way of doing what's best for us. Right? It's it's the enemy of it. So it uh we have to make sure of that and then in America, one of the biggest things I'm going to point out for a conformity that we have, uh, that way we conform to the world, is we have this do-it-myself mentality. I'll just do it myself. You can do anything if you set your mind to it. We talked about that yesterday at men's group. but It's the set your mind to it, you're okay. It's the humanistic uh, mindset of America now and of the world, that humans can save themselves. I can do this. We come to Jesus. We, we get saved, and immediately we jump into action on how we're going to be a great Christian. Usually not even understanding what that means. Right? We're just jumping into action of, I feel like this is the way. Like, my boss would have me do this, my parents had me do this, and I'm going to serve the Lord the way I've always served everybody else. And we're trying to serve God... In a way that's not pleasing necessarily. We're trying to serve him in a way that the world would serve others. And I, I uh, an analogy for this uh, this first mentality of, you know, we, we oftentimes people think I can do it on my own. You know, nobody has ever done anything on their own in the, in the world. They have never accomplished anything or been successful on their own. They may act like they have, and they may think, I put a lot of time and effort into this, but it doesn't mean they were successful on their own. And uh, I'm going to talk about Joshua Bell here. Those of you guys who are smarter than me like, may actually know who the guy is. I had to look up his name. I only know the story, and I've heard Pastor Chad preach a story before about him, about his, uh, what is it, strata... stratospheres, whatever the violin is. He got like the most expensive violin in the world. And he plays amazing at this violin, right? He's a, uh, a world-renowned violinist. I think he's in the top five in the whole world. He's all over the world. He made $15 million playing the violin. That's more than, than I'm going to make in my whole life. And he's doing it by playing a violin, right? Yet, in 2007, this very man decided he was going to see if people could recognize something good, uh, without it being set apart. So he goes into the uh, subway in Washington, D.C., and he starts playing his, I forget, what is it, like $300,000 Stratofares, like high-dollar violin. Like, probably the most beautiful-sounding violin in the world, but if you played it for me, I wouldn't know the difference between another one because I don't have a tuned ear, right? But... He goes in there, and he just starts playing it, and he's got a hat on, and he is playing, and he's playing, and he's playing, 
and 1,029 people passed by him that day. You know how many stopped and listened? Seven. Seven people actually took the time to recognize that, man, this guy's pretty good. Right? One of those seven was somebody who actually recognized who he was. So they don't really count because they knew who he already was. The amount of money he raised doing that, like the, that they put in his case, he had $52.17, I think it is. $52.37. But 20 of that came from the lady who recognized him. So those who actually didn't know who he was gave him $32. That's what he made. $32.57. And he is a world-renowned violinist. And I say that because we think sometimes we're talented enough to do it on our own. But if he did not have people helping push him where he needed to be, if he wasn't... If he didn't have somebody recognize, like I read an article on him, like he was he was a child prodigy. Whenever his mom would play piano at home, he started putting rubber bands on his dresser uh, knobs, and he would start playing the rubber bands along to her music, and she realized he had talent, right? And that's how she started realizing, hey, this guy, like this kid knows some music. So she believed in him and started pushing him and getting him involved, and then Schools started recognizing how good he was. He gets a, He's actually from Bloomington, Indiana. That's what's crazy about it. But they start recognizing he has a lot of talent. And the schools start promoting him up. He gets a scholarship eventually for the violin at, uh, at Indiana. And he ends up being world-renowned. He goes all over the world. He's been in the uh, New York Symphony. He's been in orchestras all over the place. And he's he's very world-renowned, but on his own. He would still be playing rubber bands in his, in his bedroom. Somebody had to help him get to where he needed to be. We don't do it on our own, no matter how much we think so. And you may be like, I started a business, and I did that on my own, and you didn't. Somebody had to believe enough into you to help you get to that point. Somebody had to help provide the finances. Somebody had to push you along to get you to where you should be. Right? That is the way it works, is nobody can do it on their own. And you can think, like, actually, nobody provided me with money. Okay, maybe they didn't provide you with money. But people still had to show up and give you a chance. Keith, you want to help them? I think you're having a problem with power. Uh, so I want you to remember that part, like... We cannot truly do it on our own, no matter how much America tells you, you need to look out for you and take care of you. You'll never do it on your own. You're always going to have to have somebody to help you, right? Then it goes on in that same scripture, and it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's that renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? I will assure you, you do not renew your mind by going home and trying to have good vibes. That one always bothers me. People are like, man, I need prayer and good vibes. Let me tell you something, vibes are not going to help you. I'm not even sure what good vibes are. I know there was a song that said good vibrations, and maybe that's what that's from, but I'm not really sure what it means. 
Good intentions will not help you. Right? Want will not help you. Feelings will not help you. The way you're transformed by your mind, uh, your mind is transformed. And as it said up there in the sacrificial worship thing, was a, or spiritual worship thing, is it's by the Word of God. You have to get into Scripture. And not get into Scripture to say, this year I'm going to read the Bible all the way through by the end of the year. No, you read Scripture by saying, Lord, I need to know you. God, reveal yourself to me in your Word. I don't know how to do this on my own, right? And then you begin to read the Scripture and you're praying over that Scripture. There's times I will get in a verse and I can take one verse and I can be there for three weeks because I need God to reveal to me what it is, right? At that rate, it would take me a long time to read the Bible, right? And I've read it through. I, whenever Before I got back to living for the Lord, I would read the Bible because I thought I was pa- paying my own penance, right? Like I'd go do something bad and then I'd read Scripture because that was my trade. And I'd read the Bible probably two or three times all the way through before I got back into church and started living for the Lord. Now, I will say it helped me get to know the Bible. But I did not understand it. Right? I didn't know how I should be living. I didn't have people helping me. I didn't have, I wasn't praying over the Word. And as you're reading and you're praying over the Word, the Lord can begin to transform your mindset. Take you from trying to worship God like the uh, like you would from our communities and from our culture to worshiping the Lord the way He would call you to do it. You start being transformed for real. Like your whole mindset changes, right? So he talks about that, and then he says, "By testing, you may discern what is." The will of God. By knowing scripture, by having prayer, like the things you like to do, the reasons you're doing things will start being revealed to you. You start testing, Lord, why do I want to do this? Lord, should I do this? And you start testing it through not only scripture, but through prayer. And you'll start having an actual walk with Christ. You'll start following where he's taking you to, right? And, uh, I've always appreciated for, I don't know how long I've known Mike Harris now, but he always has to pray to make sure his intentions are good for the things he does, right? The things he is going to do may be good, but is his reasoning for doing them good, right? Like, I can go out and I can feed a thousand homeless people, but if I'm doing it because I want people to see me feed a thousand homeless people, it's no good. You know, Scripture tells us, Paul said, you know, if it's done without love, then it's nothing. Right? And love is selfless. Right? Love is pleasing to the Lord, and we should always do it for pleasing reason, reasons. So, by testing it, we can discern the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Are our actions good, acceptable, and perfect? The perfect part throws me off because that is that better be a leading of God if you're going to make it to the perfect standpoint. Right? That's that's a whole different level. But we should be testing ourselves. What are my actions? You know, sure you can have people come alongside of you and say, hey, you're doing a great job with that. You're awesome at this and you're awesome at that, but deep down you know if it's the right intentions. Right? 
You need the Lord to say, hey, you're doing a good job there. You don't need me to say it to you. If I'm saying it to you, I'm only seeing it from the same platform you're seeing, and I'm not seeing it from God's standpoint. I am not God. All right, so I'm going to uh, go into John 12, and we are going to close out with John 12. We're going to be there for a few minutes here. But John 12 does a good job of pointing some of this out, and uh, I don't know. If we're going to be new, we have to start getting some different thought processes. If you go to John 12, verse 20, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So that old person has to die, right? If that doesn't happen, you'll always feel alone. You'll never have a place with the Lord because you haven't let the old person die. And then it says... uh, But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So if you can let your way of thinking, your old self, just die, that's when God can use it to bear much fruit. If we let God start taking over our lives, I would assure you the church would look a lot different. I would assure you I would look a lot different. And you may too. Maybe not. Maybe you got it perfect. Then it says, whoever loves his life loses it. And that's that whole thought process of, you know, in in a couple weeks ago when I preached in Evansville, I talked about the ten lepers and how the ten lepers were all healed. They were all clean. And we've all that, I assume most of us in here are, if not all, have come to the Lord and allowed him to cleanse us. And then we're so grateful for that cleansing and we just go away. But the one came back, and he worshipped the Lord, and he seeked the Lord, and he spent time with the Lord. And it's that one. Because a lot of times we get clean, and we just leave, right? And that's that whole thought process of, I'm glad you saved my life, now I'm going to go live it. And those people who love to live their own life won't have eternal life. They'll lose their life, right? And whoever hates his life in this world, I want you to remember that. It does not say he who hates his life. It says he who hates his life in this world. So it doesn't mean like, man, I just wish I would no longer exist because we've heard people say that, right? No, it means I'm tired of the life I've been living here on this earth. I'm tired of my worldly ways, right? Those people will keep their life for eternity. And that's where we want to be. We want to be the kind of people who are living eternal lives, right? And there's this whole movement right now. Uh, well, John 3.16 says anybody who believes will have everlasting life. So that means, or eternal life, that means those who don't believe won't have eternity, so they no longer exist. That's not true. Eternal life means you will have eternity with Jesus. Eternal death means you will have eternity without Jesus. 
And we often even live our lives here on earth without Jesus. We're already in eternal death because we have not allowed the old person to go away and begin to live our eternal lives. I promise you, I'm moving. It says, whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, if anyone serves me, now mind you, not if anybody serves, but if anybody serves me. It doesn't say if anybody serves in the church. It doesn't say if anybody volunteers at this place. It says if anybody serves me, he must follow me. You're thinking, well, I think I follow Jesus. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Now, I'm going to ask this. Are you where Jesus is at? Are you following Jesus? Or do you go somewhere and hope Jesus is there? Right. There's the difference. We get, we get cleaned. We accept salvation. But we don't always follow Jesus. And uh, I wasn't going to share this, but I, I, I've talked to many people about it already. But Francis Chan does the book of Mark in, uh, on Right Now Media. And I love that study. But he pointed out something that I never noticed in Scripture. And whenever in Scripture, when you're reading Scripture, there was only a few who truly followed Jesus. There were great crowds that would come to him for the healings, for the teachings, right? For the good parties, the good food. And then they would leave. But then those few... The disciples, there's very few of them. He picked 12 out of them to be his apostles. And there's only a few disciples who would actually get away from him, with him. And those were the ones he was able to actually pour into. They're the ones who were going to bear much fruit. And it was those ones who weren't just coming for the, the excitement, for the miracles, for the, the big lifestyle, for the, the food and the teaching and the awesome like presence. Now, they were there for him. They were there to be with him, and they followed him. And whenever he said, hey, come with me and follow me, they just did. And then we see the ones who said, but I got to do this. They never followed him because they had reasons why they couldn't. They had good excuses. Not great excuses, but good excuses. And that's what they were. They were excuses. They had reasons they didn't want to follow. Those people are not the ones he's talking about here. It's the few that actually would follow him, right? And we often think like, well, yeah, but I still got to provide for my family. I still want to do this. I got friends. I have this. Whatever reason that keeps us from following Jesus, they had those same, same things back then, right? Because if you remember, he said, look, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. So if you follow me, the same may be for you. I can't promise you life's going to be any better for you. But I can promise you it's peace, love, joy, right? I can promise you eternal life. And he can promise you something better than this world could ever offer. That's all he was promising them whenever they agreed to give up their old ways and follow him. And they all jumped. They were like, I'm in. Let me be in. I'm in. I'm with you, right? Instead of saying... Oh, I'm going to go back, right? And uh, yeah, the the 
the thing I was bringing up about Francis Chan was he uh, he pointed out that in churches, and all of you guys are going to understand this when I say this, in churches we beg people to follow Jesus. We beg people to get into Scripture. We beg people to pray. We beg people to be involved. It's the way we work as churches. We badly want to see people be a part of it. And Jesus always did the same. He always spoke to the people and tried to let them know there was something better. But the ones who truly followed him just did it. They just jumped at it. He didn't have to beg them to. When they saw there was something better, they followed. He didn't have to talk them into it. And I'll be honest, I'm done trying to talk people into following Jesus. We should just be doing it. He did everything for us, and we're like, I don't know. I mean, I'll make it to church on Sunday, or I'll do this, or I'll do that, but it's not the way it works. Nobody should have to talk you into following Jesus Christ. Later on, after uh, Jesus talks about dying, and he prophesies about how hardly nobody's going to believe in him, or none would. He talks about how Isaiah prophesied that. In verse 42, he says this, Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. So even though it says none were believing, they did kind of believe. It says many, even the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They loved their lifestyles. They loved what they had more than they actually loved Jesus, more than they loved God. So they couldn't go out and profess and live a life for Jesus and follow Jesus because they actually liked what they had more than they liked Jesus. There's a scary thing. That we like our lives more than we like following Jesus. That's what we have to think about. And Ryan, you can come on up. I'm going to close with this. In verse 44, he says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So many Christians are remaining in darkness. So many Christians have this just dark part of them, and it's because they haven't allowed Jesus in. They haven't made that full commitment, that following of Jesus, but he says, those who are with me are no longer in darkness, right? If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. That's a scary thought process. If you know his word and you don't keep him, he's not going to judge you right here on earth. He's going to let you keep living the way you want to live. You have free will. That's interesting when you think about that, because oftentimes we think as Christians we should condemn everybody for when they do wrong. And Jesus said, I don't judge you. Right? But, Then he goes on and he says, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. 
So it's those very words, that very not, you not keeping His words and you not following, that's your judge in the end. You know, it's, it's the depravity. It's your, your, we will be our own judge by the way we live. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak, and I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And and I, I wanted to close with that uh, 49 and 50 there because even Jesus Christ had to go to the Lord, to the Father, to figure out what He should say, how He should live, what He should be doing. And how do we expect to live our lives without doing the same? If the Son of God had to do that, the messed up Eddie has to also, right? I'll never figure it out. I can't teach him anything. I can't counsel him in anything. And I have nothing to give back to him other than what he gave me. And if Jesus has to do that, I do too. And so do you. Because you're not Jesus. Right? So I'm going to close this in prayer here. And if you need prayer for any reason, um, maybe for help for following better, maybe you have medical needs, maybe maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. We'll be up here to pray with you. Ryan's going to play a song, and then Pastor Chad's going to come up here, and he's going to lead us in communion. Okay? But let's make sure our hearts are ready. Because one thing Paul warns about in 1 Corinthians 11 is, is you know, there's punishment for those who take the the bread and the cup without being prepared and ready and for doing it for the wrong reasons. So I'm going to pray. I thank you guys. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you, God, that you love us so much that you did give your son as our Savior, that he died for us, Lord, that he lived for us, and that he made a way for us to be one with you again. So, Lord, I pray you would search our hearts, God. That you would help us to know, Lord, that if, if we are truly following you, if our minds have been transformed, God. Father God, if any of us, Lord, are not, not transformed already, Lord, or not in the process of it, Lord, if we're not truly seeking you or following you, Lord, I pray you would just convict us of that, God. That you would show us our error, Lord. That you would show us... God, you would show us our, the need for change, God. And Father God, I pray you would walk through us with it, Lord. And as we begin to seek you, Lord, wholeheartedly, God, I pray that you would begin to transform our minds. That you would begin to show us a better way. That we begin to see that fruit that you promised us, Lord. That fruit is your fruit of the Spirit, God. And I pray we would just see that, God. We would walk it out. We would live it out, God. And Lord, just like in in Romans 11, Lord, where it says others need to see the mercy of God upon us, Lord, let us live in such a way that others will even recognize what you've done for us and who you are in our lives, God. I thank you. We love you. And we praise your name, Jesus.
the Lord. Has everybody been served that would like to participate this morning? Hallelujah. Um, once a month, on the first Sunday of the month, we uh, take communion together. And um, what a privilege it is this morning to do it as the first thing we do this year. You know, so I think that's a great way to start the new year. Even better than eating chili. Uh, I want you to think about something real quick as we close here. Revelation 21.5 says, And he who is seated on the throne, I think we all know who that is, right? He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So when he says he makes all things new, that means absolutely everything. And what's incredible about it is he starts the new creation with us. He's, he says, behold, you have become a new creation. He says that all things have become new with us. we become a new creation. And so that means that um, in this cup and in this body, isn't it awesome that everybody, uh, they didn't know what he was talking about when he said, everybody should eat of my body and drink of my blood. And this is symbolic of the fact that we all are participants in all that he did. We don't get a piece of what he did. I mean, no, it's like a subscription. I mean, I've ever seen a subscription where they list the 20 things that you get when you get that subscription. You get all that we have in our storehouse if you pay this subscription, right? I mean, you know, the body and the blood is fully efficacious, effective for every member of the body of Christ. Everything that He offers is in full with our portion of this communion. And so if you've given your life to Christ, you're welcome to participate with us this morning. But how many know this represents individually things are going to begin to be new in your life. You're going to have new attitudes. You're going to have new passions. You're going to have new fruit. Things like love, joy, peace. Those things are going to be new. And you say, well, Chad, I already have those things in full. You don't. (laughs) Hallelujah. God's going to bring those over the course of the year because we're participants in the body of Christ. And uh, He's making that new. But what's even more exciting is every new year I think about I'm one year closer to being with Christ. One year closer to being in His presence. And that excites me more than anything because ultimately everything's going to be new. We talked about the new heavens. We talked about the new earth. We talked about what it's going to be like in His presence. No sickness, no death, no crying, no tears, no sorrow, no sadness. Everything's going to be new very soon. In fact, when I close my eyes, I'm going to wake up in the presence of Christ. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to prefer that over this. So I can't wait to be there. I'm going to live these days out to the fullest, serving Christ with all of my heart, but I'm excited to be in the presence of the Lord. How many know this represents everything becoming new? And Jason, and even if you could come up here and join me, they're going to pray over the elements. I'm going to read this. But how many know when you partake of the body of Christ... We're participants. We get everything in the storehouse. 
that he has to offer for us. And so this is our portion. Hallelujah. I don't know what just happened there. <laughs> I seen Chris jump back there. <laughs> I didn't know you could jump that high. <laughs> Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 11 says, For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when Jason prays, he's going to be praying a blessing over this body. Hallelujah. So receive that this morning. Lord, thank you, Lord, as we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your broken body for us. That's our hope. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you gave us you did what we could not do. You took on yourself what we could not, not carry on our own, Lord. But Lord, we thank you. We honor you, Lord. We, su- we surrender, Lord, to you, knowing that we need to change, Lord, and that you gave us the freedom knowledge of you, Lord, to be able to change because of what you did for us that we could never do for ourselves, Lord. Lord, we thank you for that hope, and we we share in that hope right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's all take the bread together. I've done this before. There's a plastic strip on the top. I don't always find this easy. <laughs> First Corinthians eleven twenty five says, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink this bread and or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father God, Lord, as we partake of this of this this uh, juice, Father Lord God, in resemblance of your blood, Father God, you you reminded me that, that your word said, God, without the, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, Father, Lord God. And uh, God, so we thank you, God, is, uh, for what you've done for us and what this communion represents, Father, Lord Jesus, because you are a God, the one that died for us, Father, Lord, the one that went to the cross and just loved us with everything that he had, Father, Lord Jesus, God. And God, let us hope this body today, Lord will draw closer to you, Father, Lord God, and they will remember you every day, Father, Lord, as the communion that we take, Father, Lord, is in honor of you. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this body, Lord. 
We thank you for this fellowship, Lord, that we have in you. Lord, we thank you for the love that we have as a family, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen our fellowship, strengthen our bond of love, Lord. And uh, Lord, that you would just pour your spirit upon us, Lord, who... um, Lord, who is the giver of all things from you, Lord God, that the Spirit of God would move mightily upon us and through us and in us, that your love would flow liberally, Lord God, through our church, through our body, through our community, through our families, Lord, that we would love like you love, Lord. Lord, and also speak the truth in love, Lord. Bless this body in this coming year, Lord, and keep your hand upon it and protect it. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.